Hello everybody and welcome back inside the Shark Tank for another season of the podcast. Me and Alex were just talking about this a few moments ago, but we reckon it's now been five years since we started this podcast, a half decade. So first of all, before we kick off the new season, we want to say a massive thank you to everyone who's made this possible. All our listeners, everyone who still tweets us, you know, over the, the barren summer months, you know, everyone who's engaged with us on, on Twitter or Patreon or, or whatever, because obviously without you guys... We'd just be three idiots talking to microphones to, to no one. But whether or not that's still the case uh, remains to be seen. But after five years, I think we feel pretty confident about going into another season uh, of, uh, of Sell Sharks Rugby with, with such a fantastic fan base. So thank you, first of all, to everyone. Uh, and thank you, obviously, to Alex and James for joining me for another season uh, things are obviously a little bit different now than when we started back in 2017. But uh, Alex, you know how how good to be uh, to be back on the pod for for another season. Yeah, really excited for it, mate. Very good to see you both again. Very excited to get back into the rhythm and start um, talking about hopefully a, a pretty positive season for sale. But you know, it's been all the right noises over this summer. Um, you know, rugby's on the way back, so I am, yeah, just really excited. And I've got all that pre-season optimism that we always have, which I wish I could bottle and sort of release for the rest of the year because it quickly fades. But there we go. How are you? Very, very good. Like you said, I, I, it's been a, it's been a weird summer in that I don't. We've just been talking about it, obviously doesn't really feel like we've been focusing much on on domestic rugby and obviously we'll touch upon what's happening with Worcester and Wasps and the, the sort of dark cloud that is over the premiership a, a little bit at the moment but actually you sort of take a step back you start planning for for a podcast like this for example and you start to think well actually yeah Sale have signed you know George Ford and Johnny Hill and Tom Flaherty and we we're a top six team last year and you just start to put all those pieces together and it gets it's hard not to feel very very excited uh, about the coming season and, and that just sort of blends so naturally into the end of August and, and start of September in a couple of weeks time it might be a bit different but like right now and I don't know whether or not you agree with me James it feels very it feels like a good time to be a cell fan I hope so <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I mean we'll get into it won't we but certainly what I agree with is is that you know with the Wasps and Worcester situation the head injury um, legal cases that are going on at the moment, you know, the, the, there's the, the the sort of the, the the atmosphere around rugby hasn't been what it what it has been. Um, there's been a lot of negativity, a lot of worry. I think about the future of the sport, but I think the best you know antidote to that is to get games back on, fans into stadiums, um, you know, games on TV, and I think that very quickly from that point on. You know, people are able to engage in what the game actually is, which is an awesome game. And that's why we're all fans of it, um, you know, whether it's Sail Sharks or otherwise. And that's why the three of us and everybody listening to this podcast, you know, we tune in and we sign in every week to do it because we love this game. So bring on another season. Yeah, and, and let's uh, let, let's get straight into it because I think realistically, what we'll probably do today is is a bit of a roundtable. It's been a, a very strange summer for obviously some of those uh, reasons that James has just mentioned, and we just want to keep this discussion quite quite light and airy about what we can expect from Sale in, in the coming season. And I, I guess the kind of first pillar to to touch upon then is is kind of what our expectations are for the coming year, and 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 just to kind of recap for everyone's benefit obviously sale 
were you know finished sixth in the Premiership table last year. You know didn't qualify for the playoffs, but were only five points, e.g. you know a, a bonus point win away from Northampton, who did finish fourth. Um, they're obviously not you know knocked out in the uh, Champions Cup quarterfinals for a second consecutive year this time by Racing, and obviously a lot has ch- sort of changed around the game of rugby. But I guess you know Alex going into this season, you know what what are your expectations for Sale? I think the expectations have to be top four and therefore, you know, getting into a playoff at the end of it and and not just fourth. I think, you know, we need to be looking at a comfortable second or third. Um, I think that's got to be the target. Maybe that's slightly different to my expectations, which is this is a really tough league and I'm I'm not sure if we're quite there yet to to compete with the other teams in it. So it's been a difficult one, really, because I think if we had maybe less injury concerns in the form of you know George Ford at 10, that would make a massive difference. Um, but I do still think that when you look at the squad overall and the players we've kept and the players we've let go, I still think there's a, a top four squad there. It's just about starting well and then continuing that momentum. And obviously that's what killed us last season. Season before, we um, we started well and managed to keep it up. So, you know, we, and we've shown in past seasons that we can start badly and kind of force our way back in. But I think the league is so competitive now that it's really on those first five or six weeks as to, you know, that... that in a way, defines your season as to whether you're leading from the front or chasing. So I think um, expectations are top six, but to me, the requirement is top four at least. And and I sort of I'm trying to balance that the unknown of having a you know, new nine ten combination. There's some, a lot of change in key positions in the squad, so I'm trying to balance that with also you know where we where we should be and where we should be on this journey and where we should be as a club. So um, in in my head, it's top four. And in my head, that's probably fourth because I'm trying to, you know, sort of uh, temper those expectations. But I do think there's going to be a big section of our fan base who probably rightly are saying, well, you know, Alex Sanderson's had two and a half years by the end of this season. Um, He inherited a top four squad. So if he's not keeping us in the top four, then when do you start to ask what is going wrong and how do we change things? But to me, I'm, I'm, I think just the competitiveness of the league, the shake-up in the, the structure and the salary cap means that it's all still a bit unknown. And if we don't finish in the top four, actually, is that a reflection of where we are in terms of how stable we were before all this salary cap shake-up, which I think we were still getting up to the top rather than we were at the top and trying to stay at the top. So... Um, it's a really interesting season and I think there'll be a lot of angst during it if we don't perform as people expect us to. But yeah, I'm seeing us in that fourth or fifth range again, to be honest, just because of the competitiveness of the other teams around us. I'm really glad you mentioned Axe as part of that because James, I want, I want your views on this. Realistic or not, fair or not, Alex has sort of laid the, the gauntlet down there, which is the hope, the hope is to be a top four team. The expectation actually might be to be a bubble playoff team or a top six team. Where, where do you, where do you stand on that? And and do you think it's right that actually this is a bit of, 
bit of a make or break season for, for Alex Anderson in terms of the squad he inherited and the direction that we'd be going in if we missed the playoffs for a second consecutive season. Uh, I, I think it is. I think it is a big season for Alex Anderson because he's had the opportunity to release players, uh, let players go, bring players in. And of course, we know that it is still a tough gig, you know, in terms of in terms of that. And, you know, salary cap has come down and he's having to contend with things which, which all clubs are having to contend with. But maybe it's hit us harder. I mean, certainly you look at the outgoings and sales outgoings are the most striking list of the whole premiership. Um, there's no question about that. I think we've signed intelligently so far, and I know we'll talk about that later on about new signings. Um, but our, our outray is 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 pretty out there, and um, you know a lot of that is enforced. But it's how you reinvest it back into the squad. Um, Lewis, have you got something to add there? Yeah, just just for kind of everyone's context, because you you forget over the course of a summer. I just want to go through that list of outgoing players you mentioned: uh, AJ McGinty to Bristol, JP Dupria to to Glasgow, uh, Curtis Langdon and Cameron Neal to Worcester, uh, Faf de Klerk to Yokohama, uh, Rohan van Rensburg back to the South African uh, Sharks franchise, Simon Hammersley retired, Jack Metcalf to to Ealing Trailfinders, and Lou Diaga to Saitama Wild Knights in Japan as well. That you are right. There's there's a lot of names there that are uh, eye catching. Yeah, and and I I think that we'd say that to a man, if if we could, we would have kept. You know, with it, and most cell fans would have chosen to keep everyone in that list if they if they'd had a free reign, free budget, everything else, right? So it's it's not like we've we, we've got people there where we're going oh, okay, well they're just sort of squad players or they're players that haven't quite made it. I mean, even someone like Jack Metcalf. I think that's a very high ceiling. He's going to be a Premiership player, and he's chosen to go and play somewhere else and and find a different route into the Premiership. So I think there's a lot of stories there, a lot of a lot of question marks. And to go back to the question, you know, when we were playing maybe not so attractive rugby last season, people were still saying, "Oh well, it's it's Diamond Squad." You know, I think a lot a lot of people have a kind of soft spot understandably for Axe and he's a top guy and I think a really good coach and an inspirational person etc but I think you know where does the line come to accountability and it's now it's now 100% on, on him um, going into the season so I don't want it to put him under too, too much pressure you know we still need to give him space I still think that sticking with somebody like Axe even if we had a bad season would be the right decision you know stability in rugby is really 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 important um, and um, he's intelligent enough and a good enough coach to, 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 to be excellent for sale. So the question is, is whether this season is going to be our year. I agree that we have to set our target to be top two finish. Home semi-final, that's what we have to be aiming for. That's what everyone needs to be focused on in the squad. And, you know, with a, with a, a great season where all the bounces of the balls go our way, uh, the direction of the wind is blown in our direction, you know, we, we, we could do that. So that has to be the aim. What's the expectation? Well, I compare my feeling now to what it was this time last year. You know, and this time last year, we were going into a season where we'd finished in the top four. Um, you know, we'd retained all of our top players and it just felt like Axe could now take this team onto the next level. He'd taken over the you know, midway through a season and still we still finished in the top four. I don't feel as optimistic and as excited this year 
and it's partly due to that outtray of players. Um, and I think it's also partly due to you know Ford being injured until January, who was essentially we haven't just signed a fly half here; we've signed a backs coach. That's what the George Ford signing is. Um, and you know, I think what I worry about is, you know, will we have the level of physicality and depth in the squad, especially up front? to give whatever fly-off is playing the ball to take us into the top four. Um, you know, are we a top four team this year? I'm not so sure. I think we're definitely a top seven team, let's say. I reckon, you know, sixth or seventh is what I probably have in my mind. I'd like to think we could finish maybe fourth or fifth um, and we should be aiming for second. Um, so ask me at the end of the pod for an exact prediction and I'll let you know. It's an interesting point as well on um, the feeling this time last year because this time last year we were thinking we're going into this season with Faf, AJ, really settled, good partnership. They're going to be playing together. Actually, you know, Faf didn't really play for the first six months of the year and AJ had another bout of injury problems. So it's, it's, it's one of those where even if you're feeling at this time, as we're feeling now, we're going our oh, fourth or fifth would be okay, knowing we've got George Ford out, um, is could be completely changed by an injury in the first game or an injury in the last preseason game against um, Benetton on next Friday. So you know, it's it's kind of it's all a bit up in the air, isn't it? But it is interesting that last season we felt really settled and then we were thrown into uncertainty and you almost feel like this season, actually we're just already in that uncertainty where we've not got our first choice 10 out. We're not sure whether we'll get our first choice nine out because Rafi is um, still coming back from that injury at the end of last season. So it would therefore be, it sort of feels reasonable that we're probably talking about fourth or fifth, which is virtually where we were last season, you know, bouncing a ball with fourth Um as it stands, we were fifth, so or you know fifth or sixth is like you know we're we're in about the that kind of conversation, aren't we? We know we're on the edge of top four, but yeah, you're right. I think if we had George Ford fit, we'd be talking about top two here, wouldn't we? And and that's probably where our expectations are being tempered in a way that there's the uncertainty and there's the knowledge of the injuries that actually basically cost us a top four place last season. If if you're being realistic. I, I think that's probably a good place to, to kind of start then because it, it, you do get the sense that this, this team obviously has enough quality to be a top four team and you sort of go down the list of the other teams in the Premiership and whilst no one has necessarily lost as much talent as Sale have, I, I think it's hard to look at many other teams and say they've improved as, as much as Sale have. It, it's quite paradoxical in that way. There's 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 not many uh, teams who are adding you know two top-class test internationals in George Ford and Johnny Hill. Uh, you then obviously got Tom O'Flaherty, a proven premiership player. You could argue he should have been playing for England by now, who's obviously joined from Exeter. And then two very solid pickups in Joe Simpson and Jason Woodward, who can sort of pad out the depth in the squad. You actually look at the, the cumulative value of those players, and, and realistically, there's not many teams who, who've added that much time to their squad, apart from a, maybe a Leicester, who obviously had Andre Pollard and Anthony Watson as two standout players. But it does kind of leave us in a situation where we're kind of both significantly worse than last season and also slightly better in, in different areas. And that ends up being like a, like a net sort of equal sort of standing for the squad. So 
using that as a kind of jumping off point then, I, I guess, Alex, to go back to, to you, James has obviously spoken about the number of players that we've lost. Who who do you think is going to have the biggest impacts this year? Like, you know, when we, we talk about kind of kicking on and, and making a push to be a consistent playoff team, which of those players that we've lost do you think is going to have the biggest, you know, impact on, on, on maybe preventing us from getting there? I think it's probably... Uh, so I think when you look at the key ones, it's Lodi Yager, Faftklerk, AJ and Rohan, because realistically they were the four starters. There's a really interesting graphic on Twitter that Russ Petty tweeted out, actually, which um, I'll, I'll retweet from the account for when this goes out, about percentages of last season's starters that have left. And you can see in our um, in sales case, they come in the key positions. You know, if you look down the key positions we always talk about, it's 2, 8, 9, 10, 15, isn't it? And we've lost 9, 10, and 15. Um, and, you know, it's sort of tempered for us by the fact that Faft didn't start a lot of games and AJ didn't start a lot of games, but it's still that key axis. I think what you what's really interesting that I hadn't realised is the amount of games Lou Diaga started for was last year. After thinking the first couple of years were a bit of an injury hit and thinking we weren't really getting the best out of him, actually, last season, we got him virtually all of the time. So I think he's going to be a really big miss. But we're bringing in Johnny Hill. I think the difference in that is, we'll, and then you go to 10, we're losing AJ, but AJ was injured all the time. George Paul's injured at the start of the season. You know, we've got a really solid 10 in Rob Dupria, who I think had a good end to last season. And we've got really exciting talent in Tom Curtis and Kieran Wilkerson. Tom Curtis is looking like a massive breakout season. When we were at the um, pre-season barbecue uh, training thing, everyone is massively excited about Tom Curtis. He is the the one that everyone's talking about. So I think there's a lot of excitement there. I think at nine is sort of where the the churn comes in because you've got, we've lost Faf and Faf was so integral to our kind of attacking play, our style of play, our mentality. You know, we have a World Cup winner on the pitch. Um, and I think what we've got is Rafi, who is very, very talented, but spent a lot of time injured and not playing for, for sale and could end up going away with England if he is fit. We've got Joe Simpson, who's a proven premiership performer, but has been in and out of a few squads in the last few years. We've got Will Cliff, who is, with the best of respect, getting on a bit um, and was injured for the end of last season as well and probably going to be injured at the start of this season. And then, you know, we were into Academy, Nye Thomas and that kind of thing. So I think Faf's going to be the biggest miss. But again, interestingly, you know, we spent half of last season without Faf. So I think there's there's impacts in all kind of ways. Um, I think the disruption that those players we lost faced last year, you know, Rohan, we got out for three or four games in a row at one point, but he was always tending to go down with an injury and we just had to deal with it. So... I think they'll they'll impact in different ways. I think Lude will be a massive miss just on the basis of we didn't quite realise how important he was for us. But if Johnny Hill steps up, then that is kind of negated. I think at nine is where my concern is. But I still think there's loads of opportunity there. I think Joe Simpson and Rafi Quirk could be a better fit for this sales side and a better combination than Faf was. Because with Faf, it was everything went through him and we relied on him. With Joe and Rafi, it, there's a chance for the rest of the team to shine and show their skills. So 
it'll be really interesting to see where that kind of falls. Nine's the concern, but I think it's also the opportunity. So it's a bit of a positive spin on it. Um, but I'm confident everywhere else. I'm weirdly confident in 10. Uh, I'm confident in Robbie Priya, and then we've got George Ford coming back. I'm confident that Tom Curtis is going to have a, a massive season. Um, and then at 15, obviously, I think the pickup of Jason Woodward has negated any potential concerns about... Because we know Luke James is going to start there, and we know Luke James is brilliant, and Jason Woodward is a fantastic backup, So um, and potentially a fantastic starter if uh, if he continues to play well. So, yeah, that's a very positive answer to it. I think there's just that uncertainty, isn't there? But that creates opportunity. The, the, it feels like, to your point, that there's so much talent at 9 and 10 that someone's going to hit. Do you know what I mean? Like... Let's let's use ten as an example. Let's say Kieran Wilkinson never kicks on and, and to become a Premiership player, that's disappointing. But then you have Rob Dupree in the squad already, who is a Premiership caliber ten, and you got Tom Curtis, who could be a superstar. It feels, or you know, alternatively, Tom Curtis doesn't make it, but Kieran Wilkinson turns into a really steady option at ten, and then in January George Ford comes back. There's enough talent there that. It can tide us over, and same with at nine, where you know you've got Gus Ward, Nye Thomas, Will Cliff, Joe Simpson, Rafi Quirk. Of those five scrum halves, two of them are going to be fit and good enough to play every week. And and even if it is by a little bit by committee this season, that should hopefully lay the bedrock in for for success down the, down the line. I guess kind of flipping it on its head, then James, you you know we we sort of talked there about you know the players that we're get, or players that we're going to miss the most. But of the of the new players who have come in, who do you expect to, to make the biggest impacts? Because, you know, on paper, it'd be George Ford by far. Like you said, he's, he was the best player in the league last year. He's, he's effectively an attack coach, given how intelligent he is in terms of rugby matters. But when you start to factor in injuries, context, opportunity, who, who do you see having the biggest impact on, on the cell squad this year from the, from the new signings? Well, I think George Ford and Johnny Hill together are the, are the two biggest signings we've made. Because jo- Johnny Hill, we're actually we're not that deep in the second row. We're taking some punts on on a few players that might really pay off. Someone like Alex Groves, has got all the physical attributes, been down in the Southern Hemisphere over the summer. Um, if he can be fit, I think he could be a, a good Premiership player at some point, whether it's this season or, or next season, not so sure. Then you've got someone like Don Barrow, who, you know, he was a very good, just under international standard second row before he retired. And, you know, we saw him a couple of times last year, um, you know, strong and heavy, but unfit. If we, if we can get him fit and on the pitch, you know, interestingly, he was named to play against Coldy, but uh, in the preseason, but then didn't make it onto the pitch. So must have taken a knock. Hopefully it's not too bad, but he could be an amazing signing. Um, but, you know, there's a few punts in there. You know, we've got Postlethwaite going another year. You know, he's, 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 he's now into his mid-20s, right? So he's no longer a youngster. He's had some good games for sale, don't get me wrong, but he's never broken through. So, you know, if Jean-Luc is going to be committing to play at six most of the time, then, you, you know, you've got, uh, and you've got Josh Beaumont, who's coming back from injury and could be like a new signing, but equally he might he's, might go down with his with his knee or whatever it might be in the first game back and retires and then that's the last we see of him. So realistically, in the second row, you've got Cobus uh, Cobus Visa, obviously, who's you know is pr- pr- pretty much pretty much nailed on. 
Um, but then you need Johnny Hill, don't you? And so, you know, then you're thinking, okay, well, the depth might not be there. We've taken a few punts, but if we get our first choice second rows on the pitch, it could be a top four second row partnership. So I think he's absolutely essential for us in that regard. And then George Ford, we're not going to see him until, say, January. Um, but he's got the ability to completely change the club. Um, and, and, you know, I think if it wasn't for his injury, he would have been nailed on for captain for the year as well. You know, I think for the next four years, we're basically a George Ford club. Everything should be based around him. He's got a great kicking percentage, so we don't lose as much with McGinty going because I think, you know, that's that's the key with McGinty is, is consistency kicking a goal over the last couple of years. Um, so I think George is going to be key. Just one just sort of general observation, if I may, uh, on, on the signings. Um, you know, all five are actually English qualified. Jason Woodward is actually English qualified on residency grounds. So we've, you know, if you're thinking about the balance of the squad, you know, actually it is a bit better balanced now. We were quite heavy on the South African front, which is kind of, was kind of fine. But, I mean, we still had a lot of local lads, a lot of northerners, but you get that clique building, don't you? And the real sort of South African culture building within the club. And actually what we want is for the South Africans who, who come and play for us to feel like proper, you know, Mancunians, you know that that's when you get the real brilliance happening. Whether it's in cricket, in rugby, when you get these overseas players coming to play and they become, you know, they, they, they a little bit infused with their own culture, but basically they become where they've gone to. And and I think that you know we've signed Johnny Hill, George Ford, Tom Flaherty, Joe Simpson. Um, you know, I think that's all great. And then Jason Woodward adds a bit of depth. So that's my observation on, on, on the signings coming in. I think it's a good set of signings. I think Joe Simpson, he's had a bit of a tough time. Um, you know, he's been released by a couple of clubs in a couple of years. Um, his, his, his career, which had begun from being, you know, just, just international standard, but you know, that kind of like impact scrum off very, very, very quick. And over the last two to three seasons, his his career has fallen off the wagon. So if we can get him back on the wagon, he could be a great, great signing for us. It, it, yeah, it, it's a really good point about the sort of composition of the squad. And I remember reading, it might have been last season or the season before, uh, about how the lineup calls for sale are off, were often being done in Afrikaans because you had... Aka van der Merwe throwing into Lou Diaga, who was the, the line-out caller. And, and obviously, it's just little things like that. Do do strike you as, as being quite jarring and speak to how strong that South African influence is or, or was in the squad? But obviously, as we've just seen with the fact that there's, there's three or four prominent players have, have left this summer, you know, that, that, that contingent isn't going to stay forever in, in a way that players who grew up around the area or are based locally are. And it is interesting that there's been a very deliberate change in tactic from from the Diamond era, which was maximising the market value you could get from top-class South African players being available at mid-range premiership levels, to the approach Sanderson is taking now, which is, uh, you know, again, staying to a relatively small squad, but prioritising English or or English qualified players uh, as part of kind of supplementing the, the very strong academy call that's coming through, which actually this year is probably going to come to the fore in, in a way that it hasn't done uh, for, for a good number of years now. You just think about who might be running out for the team in that first game and, and there's a good chance over two-thirds of the starting 15 are going to be 
uh, either from Manchester or, or from the club academy. So very, very exciting. Um, before we sort of go into the reads on the, on the sales squad to, to kind of wrap things up, I did just want to kind of take a, a slight step back and, and look at the, the rest of the league because obviously we're previewing sale. We've spoken about who's coming and who's going and what we can expect. But obviously a big part of what, what could happen this year is dependent on the other teams. And I, I guess, James, just to go back to you and I'll give you sort of first rights on this. Outside of sale, is there any team in the Premiership that that you're looking at this year and, and thinking, wow, they've taken a big step forward or wow, they've taken a big step back? And, and how might that actually affect sale when, uh, when push comes to shove to this year? Well, I mean, not many clubs have taken a step forward because of the salary cap situation, right? So I think most fans of most clubs are looking at it going, oh, dear God. Um, but I think there are some clubs like Gloucester and Northampton who certainly haven't gone backwards. You know, it looks like they're going into the squad with yeah, into the season with a, with squads that are as strong as last year. Which, if other people are going backwards, I think stands them in very good stead. So I'd look out, out for Gloucester and and, uh, and and Northampton. I think that Saracens have been very very savvy as have Quinns. Don't think they're really going to be going backwards at all going into next season. You know, there's big turnovers at clubs like Newcastle, Bristol, a lot of turnover as well there. Wasps, you know, the Wasps are obviously in a difficult place. I actually fancy Worcester to be a really, you know, difficult side this year. Uh, I thought there were some really savvy signings from um, Steve Diamond. We'll see if they make the start of the season. Um, and then everyone has kind of written off Bath. Well, I think a club like Bath, with the players that they've got in their squad, they've had one shocking season where they'd go down. They've got away with it, a bit like Leicester did the other year when Saracens got relegated automatically. And then they will bounce back. They've got a great coach in. As long as they don't lose their first four games in a row or something awful like that, Bath are not going to finish in the bottom three, I don't think, this year. Um, so I think that relegation is spicy um, this year. And I, I, I and <laughs> being a sale fan, you know, we thought that that was long behind us. But you only have to look at the season that Bath had last year. Leicester had like three seasons ago, um, and 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 you can't take anything for granted. So what I would say is, yeah, I, I it's difficult to know. And actually, I think what's more important is is getting off to a reasonable start uh, than the, what your squad is what your squad is like. Um, so we've lost a few, but we don't have many new players to bed in, which might actually be quite beneficial. I mean, I, James has kind of gone through the entire league there, Alex. But uh, I guess, it, you know, is there anyone there that that uh, you want to double down on or, or also kind of highlight in terms of just teams that you think have made a, a significant change in direction over the summer? Yeah, I think we're the most significant change, aren't we? I, th- I think the upheaval we've had has really sort of eclipsed anyone else, um, other than maybe Worcester with Dimes, but that's a very different end of the league, I think, you know, and, and obviously with everything else going on that we may touch on later. But, so I think what's almost. Um, What's better in this sort of scenario where everyone's losing players is consistency. If you can keep all the players and kind of go under the radar, you're going to, in theory, have an advantage. And I think, you know, I think Gloucester have done that really well. They haven't really lost anyone from their first team. So I think, and given they had quite a good season last season, I think they'll be a one to watch. Um, And then it's interesting to see that 
I think Saris and Quinns have sort of Tizard's gone from Quinns to Saris, but other than that, there's again not really been a massive drain of talent other than Saris of Wasps, Vincent Cock to Wasps, um, which will be a, a, a blow. But I think so. I think those three teams have really kept their squads tight. Leicester have not done too badly, but they've got the massive upheaval at ten. They've got players leaving in the middle of the season. Um, you know, so I think there's a bit of a question mark there over can they do it again? Can they go again with the weight of expectation on them? Because I think once the expectation hit last season, you saw that in the league it got a bit more difficult and then they really pulled through and showed that mentality in the playoffs. Uh, they, you know, in the the final was just unbelievable, wasn't it? So, and, and to that point of kind of change and expectation, Exeter have got almost no expectation on them again this year because everyone sees last season and goes, oh, that's still falling off. So I think they'll come back strong. You know, they're, they're a really a real quality club who had a bad season. So there's a lot of competition up there in terms of um, where people were last season. But I think, as we say, it's this unknown. And if you can keep hold of your players, that is better than anything. And, and for that reason, I mean, we're probably going to see Saris and Quinns up there again. I think, and Gloucester will kind of be the surprise package, I suspect, because, you know, they've got Hastings for a full year this season. They didn't have him for a full year. That's filled a massive hole that they've struggled with for a long time. Um, but yeah, I agree on Bath. I think there's there's a big rebound coming there, especially with Johan Van Grand, who's a very, very good coach. Um, and I think other than that, as we say, we've made the most exciting additions and I do think we should be putting ourselves up in that third or fourth spot after Saris and Quinns, basically, and competing with the rest. You know, Northampton had a really good season and will come strong again. But there's no one who's kind of added the excitement we have. And maybe that's just a sale fans' bias perspective because we're not looking at it in a wider league context as often. But we should be competing with all of those teams. And, and we can beat pretty much all of them. The only team I don't think we can beat home and away is Saris. Everyone else, I think, if we play well, we could beat home and away. Um, so, yeah, it'll be a really interesting season. I mean, we've not—I've not even talked about the likes of Bristol, who, you know, have had a roller coaster over the last three or four years. Um, so, I think there'll be a lot of a lot of movement, and it'll be a really competitive league. But I agree with you that relegation could be a bit spicy if Worcester are going to, if they are in the league, are going to be full of heart and full of fight. Newcastle are always full of fight and they've managed to keep their forward pack together, which is going to be the way they win the games that they do. Wasps could easily get dragged down into that relegation battle with the way they've gone in the off-season. I don't think they've added well and I think they've lost key players. So it's going to be a really exciting season. But I think genuinely there's a lot of... as, As I was saying before about our squad, there's a lot of risk, but there's so much opportunity in this league because of the turbulence of this salary cap point that it is a bit unknown. And if we can get out and start with two or three wins, then we could be top of the table after round three. And, and you know, But equally, we could be bottom of the table after round three. It is that kind of season where it's not going to be a nice steady one. I think it's going to be turbulent, but hopefully it should be exciting as a result. How much, how much does our season then, to sort of bring it back to the overall view depend on sort of surviving until George Ford is ready. Do, do you think that that's what's going to make or break sales season? Is it about getting off to a fast start, banking some points early on, 
and then being able to kick on once Ford is is back? Or do you think there's enough talent in the squad to, to get around that, Alex? I think we we have to be able to get around that because Ford might not come back in December. He might suffer a setback. He might come back in March. He might not come back at all. He might not come back as good a player as he was. So I think we have to face up to the fact that we are a squad without George Ford this season. And that'll be a bonus if he comes back in um, in December for the Leicester game. But he might not. So I think I'll... We we have to find a way of playing, and we've we've lost a bit of that beef, but we've still got a very exciting backline, and we showed signs of it last season with Roebuck and Reed, and we'll add with O'Flaherty. I think Sam James is going to be a real key cog this season if we can get him playing well. Um, he, he he looks good in training, and I think he'll he should hopefully be back to his best. Maybe taking advantage of the fact that he's not kind of being overshadowed by another creative player in Faf. Um, I wonder whether that was part of it. So we have to find a way to win without George Ford. And I think we have to be excited about the fact that we've got Tom Curtis and Kieran Wilkinson in, in coming through. And we've got Rafi Quirk at nine and potentially Joe Simpson having a bit of a resurgence. And if we can get chances to those wingers, they'll score them. And if we can give our forwards a platform, sorry, if our forwards can give our backs the platform to play, I think there's an exciting backline in there. You know, O'Flaherty will score from anyway. He's such a, you know, exciting player to watch as a fan. So we've got to have the mentality of this is a top four squad without George Ford. And I think it is if we play well. And if we get Rob Dupree on a run of form, he can be a top four, top two fly-off easily. We've seen that in the past. So I'm hoping that that is the way that we approach it. And I think it will be. And then George Ford comes back in, having been in the background and having developed these players, and takes it might, he'll take a while to slot in. It won't be it won't be easy at first, but if we can bring him in steadily, form a partnership with, say, Rafi, Quirk and Ford could take us to top four very easily. I think. Should we should we just talk about halfback just briefly? I know Lewis, you want to get into having a look at the squad as a whole and things, but yeah, you know, maybe we can sort of go through it position by position. But I do think halfback's pretty critical for this year. We've lost AJ and McGinty uh, and uh, AJ McGinty and Faf de Klerk, right? So you, 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 there's a lot of unknowns going into it. But you know, we were missing AJ for a considerable uh, part of the back end of last season, and Rob Dupree was playing excellently at ten and kicking his goals. So the question at ten is. Do we go with that again, um, like we did in the preseason game against Connor? And we know that that doesn't necessarily lead itself to beautiful rugby, necessarily, right? Um, and Rob Dupree and Sam James playing together at 10 and 13 has never seemed to work for whatever reason it might be. Don't know. Or, when this is what a lot of our listeners are saying on Twitter, is you know is now the time with George Ford? It's an opportunity once and for all. Can we find out whether Wilkinson has got it, uh, or can we go with Tom Curtis who's on an absolute upward trajectory here? He's played rugby most summer of the summer, right? So I don't think we're going to be expecting him to play every game all of the season. But if you know, just say to him, right, your season's going to finish at Christmas when George Ford comes back and you can take a break. You, you, we're going to play you. We're going to play you in every single game, right? Unless you've got a knock or whatever, you've got the backing of the coach now to go and express yourself on the rugby pitch. 
and make this position your own. Because if, if, if we can have Curtis and Wilkinson batting up forward, it changes the nature of our squad quite considerably. So it gives us two 13s in Sam James and Rob Dupria who can play that secondary uh, playmaker role. Also, when Rob plays at 13, he can take the kicking duties. So it take, I mean, it, t- it potentially takes it off if Wilkinson's going to play, for example. We know where yeah, Curtis has the edge over Wilkinson, but primarily over kicking at goal, like in age groups, I mean. But we've not seen it from Tom at a senior level. So, but having Rob on the pitch does give you that opportunity, right? Just say, right, you go and manage the game. You just go and be yourself. And then Rob will take the kicks at goal. So this is a question for you two. Do we go with start the season? This is start the season with the person that we know in Rob Dupria, potentially playing outside Rafi. They've been training together now for, you know, a few years. Or do we say, right, this is the opportunity. Let's find out if Wilco's got it. Let's or let's just give Curtis the the, the, the keys to the castle. What do you think, Liz? I think you've got to give it to Curtis, if I'm being honest. I, I, I think, you know, when you look at the South squad and the rest of the league, I think it is going to be difficult for us to be a top four team without George Ford for most of the season. And so at least for the first couple of games of, of the year, you've got to you've got to go with the high upside play, which is Curtis. You know, Tom Curtis has a higher ceiling than Rob Dupriya does at the respective stages of their careers. Now, you you could also argue that the floor is a lot higher on, on a Rob Dupriya because you, he's very steady, he's dependable. But fundamentally, do we back our team to, to be good enough uh, everywhere that you can make up for maybe a lower ceiling at fly half? And and with Rafi Quirk unlikely to be available, that you, you're missing your, your first choice scrum half as well. Manitou Alangi, is he going to be fit for the start of the season? You know, probably not. Uh, you know, then you, you're missing your, your first choice 12. Someone like Josh Beaumont coming back after such a long injury layoff. You can very quickly go down the, the list and, and sort of highlight a number of areas where we, are, we might not be at full tilt, regardless of whether Ford is available. And, and so I do just wonder whether or not we, we do have to sort of back the, the team and say, look, we're going to put Curtis there for the first three games of the season. He's got the skill. He plays a, a game that, that more closely resembles George Ford's than, than Rob Dupriya's. Do you start to focus on, on the long-term play here, which is building a, a structure that, that works well with the, the Fords and the Curtises, etc., and gets the team away from the, the slightly more abrasive style that you maybe had in seasons past when you had McGinty at 10 and Van Rensburg at 12 um, and you had just this South African brawn throughout the team? My, in my opinion, that's, that's the way you have to go. And if it doesn't work after three games, then you can, you've got a a more dependable option in Rob Dupriya there. But I think, you know, to kick the season off, I, I, I'd like to see us, especially when, you know, the track is a, a little bit faster and the ground's harder, you know, let, let's go with the play with the more attacking potential and see if that can really start to spur that strong start of the season that we need. And we've always got Rob Dupriya as a, as a bit of a fallback. What do you reckon, Alex? I would personally go Curtis as well. I agree with what you've said. I think we'll go Rob Dupriya because, you know, fundamentally we're talking here and, and it doesn't really matter to us. We just get more to talk about if Tom Curtis, you know, has a bit of, it doesn't go very well. I think there's there's too much riding on this season for the coaching team. And 
I suspect that Rob Dupree is, as we said, the safer pick and, and you know, the more reliable pick. I think it'd be interesting to see whether that is influenced by whether Rafi makes it back. I know he was aiming for the Treviso game, but I don't know whether he'll, he'll make it because he wasn't in contact training when we were at the pre-season barbecue. So it'll be... I wonder if it'll, that will sway it either way, you know, if it's Rafi and Rob or Rafi and Tom Curtis. Is that a different conversation? Um, but yeah, I, I would go Curtis. I think it's the exciting play. I think it's the, as we say, the the upside. Um, and if he gets on a run, and it could be really successful. And it allows Rob and Sam to rotate in, in the centres. I think we are a bit short in the centres when you look at it. You know, we've got, we, we're relying on Sam Hill staying fit to have, um, Manu, we're relying on Sam Hill and Manu staying fit. Really, Conor Doherty is going to have a big role to play if they can't. Um, so, worth saying Conor Doherty was our best player against Conor by by a way, but um, limped off. Looks like he's out for quite a long time. So we are very much relying on Sam and Manu too, like you're saying, fit. Then, yeah. Um, I wonder whether we will end up seeing then as injuries bite. We'll end up seeing Curtis and Rod Dupree on the pitch. Um, and I think that would be um, an interesting combo. But yeah, I suspect first game of the season up, we'll see Rob De Bria, um probably Tulangi or Hill at twelve, and then James at thirteen. And I think I can I can completely understand that because there is a lot of pressure on this season, and you know Tom Curtis has got plenty of years left to be a Premiership starter. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think you're right, Alex. I think they are going to go with Rob Dupree. Uh, because it's the safe option, he's got the relationship with Rafi, he kicks the goals, etc. And I understand the pressure to get off to a good start. But I think it's honestly the wrong decision this time. And listeners will know that I can be sometimes conservative with a small c. And that, you know, when there's lots of chat about this or that, you know, I'm like, well, actually, let's keep our feet on the ground. But in this situation, right, we've got Tom Curtis, who this time last year was a bit uncertain of himself. He was one of the young lads in the squad. He was just below Wilkinson in the pecking order. Wilkinson and Curtis were coming in and out of the team. One week, one played. One week, the other played. You know, they missed a few kicks at goal, etc. And they didn't, they did on the outskirts of the team. You know, they knew that unless something happened, like to lots of injuries, they wouldn't be playing. Whereas what's happened with Curtis has gone away for the, for the summer and been a superstar. Okay, not at premiership level. Um, but in any case, he's really been a star down in the Southern Hemisphere. And then he's come back and clearly there's some hot air being blown up of his arse, yeah, by the coaching staff, by the players, by a lot of the fans. He's probably, you know, by the looks of the pictures of training and some of the pre-season videos that the club are releasing, you know, he's got a sense of a bit of arrogance about him, yeah, um, and high, high confidence at the moment. But I'm telling you, I haven't watched him at age group. This is the age group Tom Curtis, yeah, who had a very high skill level, would be trying chips over the top, reverse passes, flicks and offloads. You know, a highly skillful player that we have not seen for sale. And to play that way at senior level, you have to be arrogant and you have to be highly confident. And so I think you've got this player now who's at this peak of confidence and just a little bit of arrogance that all the best tens have, yeah? because they know they're good. And I think that you've got to pick him now on this high wave because this is the best chance he's got with a free run and no George Ford to play. I would go longer than three games. I'd tell him at least five and just say, this is your team. 
You can go out there. You can boss Dan Dupree around. You can tell John O'Ross he's making the wrong decision about kicking a goal. You can do whatever you want. Yeah, this is the moment to to, to really give him the keys to the castle. I think honestly, and I think that that you know. I think that's the right decision, honestly, do. And, and I think I agree with your point, Lewis, about the ways of playing here as well and the consistency of playing the same way. We've seen it with Exeter and Saracens when you just get used to a methodology of playing. Yes, off the bench, sometimes you need a different way of playing because you might need plan B if the, you know, on the ground, on the day, someone's worked you out. But generally, you have a way of playing and, yeah, people might know it's coming. But stopping it's a different kettle of fish, right? When you're just super, super organised. And both Wilkinson and Curtis, I mean, Wilkinson even more like George Ford. Wilkinson plays even more like George Ford, really close to the game line, picking the right pass and stuff. Curtis is a bit more of a runner ball in hand. He's a bit, he's, you know, he's probably a little bit quicker, but he has the confidence that Wilkinson doesn't have right now. And that's what puts him above him and the goal kicking. So I say throw Curtis in. I think it's really, really important. And and that that doesn't matter whether he's playing outside Gus War or Rafi Quirk for me. It doesn't have to be outside an experienced person like Joe Simpson. Just just get 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 him get him in there. This is the moment in time. And you know, okay, it doesn't pay off five games in. Sanderson's under pressure, he might regret it. But ultimately, if you've got Rob Dupreer on the pitch, who can step in as first receiver, could, you know, if Curtis is having a bit of a wobble, he can still take ownership of the game. So I would start Curtis at 10 and Rob Dupreer at 13. It's tough on Sam James, uh, but I'd say to Sam James, look, you're, you're an option off the bench um, or go and get first choice fullback. That's what I'd say. I mean, this has brought us very neatly into uh, our, our listener question, um, which may or may not be something we, we, we really roll out as, as the season goes on. But we did ask our listeners, you know, ahead of recording this pod, who do we think is going to have that, that breakout season for sale in 22-23? In, in you know, in, a, in the same vein that Tom Roebuck or Aaron Weed had that kind of breakout year last year for the club. Uh, and unsurprisingly, Tom Curtis features very highly about that. Obviously, the Sale fans have been watching those shoot shield highlights from uh, from the Sydney club rugby that Curtis has been playing over summer. Um, so I'm just going to reel off actually a list of names of people who've actually, you know, put forward Curtis as their pick for, for breakout. Uh, Matt Sansbury, uh, Lee Rennox, um, who else have we got here? John Capel, Peter Taylor, uh, Nick, 109.75519, etc. The list goes on. Nicholas Waite. Tom, Tom Curtis features very prominently in here. And it's fair to say there's, there's a real, real buzz of excitement around this player. And obviously someone as well who can play 10, 12 or 15, you get the sense that he's going to feature prominently in the sales squad at some point this season. And it would just it just makes so much sense with, with Ford being out that he might be the go-to. It'd be obviously interesting to see whether or not he does end up getting the nod over someone like Kieran Wilkinson, who is also kind of mentioned here as well. But I'll just uh, I'll just read off a couple of the other names that, that have come through. Uh, Taylor went with uh, Connor Doherty if he's uh, if he's obviously fit after after that injury at Connor. There's also mention there obviously of, of maybe an Alex Groves or Don Barrow like you were talking about earlier, James as as uh, you know a potential problem area for sale at, at lock. Uh, Chris Nuttall's gone with uh, James Harper and so has Daza E. Um, obviously, a, again a very talented player that's been talked up a lot by Sanderson uh, and the club. Um, 
who else have we got? Uh, Andrew Thompson went for for uh, for Kieran Wilkinson. He said actually suggesting it should be Wilkinson who gets the game time before Christmas before uh, before George Ford comes back. Um, and then lastly, I just wanted to highlight this one that we got from Moreland's rugby dad who who said Cobus Visa, um, you know, as a player who's shown uh, you know massive amounts of potential. Um, but has also, you know, made mistakes or, or, or had errors of judgment. Just a really interesting choice, you know. When we said, you know, who's going to break out for sale, doesn't necessarily have to be a, you know, a young player. And Visa is actually someone I've definitely got my eye on as someone who came very highly rated from the Stormers setup and was was rated well by the South African, uh, you know, uh, age group teams. And it is interesting that he's never necessarily kind of kicked on to be pushing test contention in the way that the Dupria twins have, for example. But actually, as we go back to the beginning of the pod, we mentioned losing Lou Diaga. There is a real void there for someone to partner Johnny Hill. And actually, if we get to the end of the season there's a good chance Cobus Visa might have played 25 games for us in all competitions. And, and, you know, it's a really, you know, exciting season for, for him as well. Um, James, obviously you've just spoken a lot about Tom Curtis. So I'll, I'll give Alex a chance here to kind of round things up. And, and uh, Alex, who, who are you kind of keeping an eye on? Uh, eye out for this season. Doesn't necessarily have to be a young player, but who do you think is going to have that kind of breakout year for, for sale? Um, I think not necessarily a breakout year, but a re-breakout year. Josh Beaumont could be a massive year for him if um, if we can say fit. Um, is uh, from um, from when uh, at this preseason barbecue, I chat to him, and uh, apparently I didn't realise this, but he did one knee, which was the injury that kept him out for a long time. Came back for that short period, if you remember, and then he did exactly the same thing to the other knee. So. As we said to him at the time, there's no more knees left to go. So, in theory, there's no more injuries left to be had. But um, it's a real horrendous injury period. And actually, hopefully, it, this will be a massive season for him. Because as we're talking about, that second row position is it's still a um, hugely up for grabs. So, that'll be really interesting. I think, um, in terms of, sort of one of the new signings, Jason Woodward, I think could be a sort of really, really smart pickup and a bit of a breakout on... I, I loved him when he was at... Bristol and Gloucester, I thought it was brilliant. I always thought I'd love to see him playing for sale. Um, so there is a massive amount of potential there. Obviously, he's had a tricky couple of years. Um, but again, it's it's a bit of a fitness question. And then just one from um, from the sort of academy crop that hasn't been mentioned already. Obviously, I massively agree with Curtis and, and potentially Wilkinson, um, Connor Doherty, if he hadn't got injured. But um, I think Reuben Birch in the back row, has shown a lot of potential playing for Sale FC and um, is a really, really destructive runner. I think he, he has a tendency to sort of make errors that probably have kept him out of the team. But if you can cut those minor errors out of his game, he is so destructive as a, as a sort of um, carrier in the back row that I think he could come in in that sort of Cam Neal role, potentially. You know, a big abrasive carrier, just does the hard work, does the hard yards. Um, so it's tough in the back row. It's a really tough place to get even in the match day squad, let alone the starting 15. But if he can get on the pitch for a bit, get a couple of performances in, I think that he could be a really, really good player come sort of the end of the season. But yeah, I think Josh Beaumont is the one I'm most excited about to see potentially back in the squad. Because as James has said multiple times, it'll be like having a new signing if, uh, if we can get him playing again. 
And that, I think, will probably do it for, for our season preview. Uh, we, we've kind of touched upon everything. Expectations, incomings, outgoings, state of the league, players to watch out for, etc. Um, James, just just from your side, is there anything else that, that we haven't touched upon yet that, uh, that you think is worth mentioning as we go into another season? Well, I suppose just from an off-field perspective, um, there's a few things, isn't there? Like We, we really, really want to see... Something happen on a, on a stadium, um, you know. We we really need to get this nailed down. This time last year, it sounded like us having AJ Bell was was imminent, um, and it sort of drifted on. And from bits that you pick up in the news, it doesn't look imminent. It could look like we're homeless very shortly, or you know, having to pay some sort of rental for for, for it. So. Uh, that's something I'd like to see. I think also off the field, you are looking for Sanderson really to be putting his personality through this team now um, and, you know, playing smartly because that's what he wants, you know, having mental resilience. And last year, you know, it took us probably until about February, March to actually be physically dominant. So I'd like to see, you know, that physical dominance come back through the way that we play. And then I think there's a lot of pressure on our attacking game, especially before George Ford comes back. I think Paul Deacon has had Huge backing from Sanderson and from the club. And, um, you know, I think there's a bit of a pressure on him. And then finally, just, you know, again, linked to the stadium is just the financials. You know, you look at Worcester and you look at the Wasp situation and it makes you just bloody thankful uh, for our for our owners, really, because we if they didn't exist. I mean, we'd be in a worse position and I'm certainly, you know, than, than those two. Okay, we don't have the debt in the same way. Um, that's true, but um, you know we 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 are reliant on on owners. So thank you very much to them for providing us top class professional rugby in the in, in the northwest. And hopefully we can get the crowds in and become even more financially viable as time goes on. I know that Alex, you did a really good uh, article on the financial performance of Sales Sharks, which is on our Patreon for anybody who's interested. Uh, and well, well worth a read. But clearly, more bodies we can get in there this season, the more financial viable we'll become as a club. Um, you know, for the academy works for us, we are quite well set in a low salary cap, salary cap universe. So that's one thing that I'm looking out for. And I don't know if you ever want you want to talk anything about the kit, Lewis, or are we doing a whole another four hour pod on that? What's the what's the plan? I, I do think I'd, I'd prefer to talk about it at length when I can express all my views properly. But uh, yeah, as we've done the pod, the uh, the new Sail Sharks 2022-23 home kit has just been released, and it's uh, it's good. Like it's it's good. You know what the, the the one thing I really want to push here. So forgive me, gents. I'm just gonna I'm gonna take a few minutes here. The, the the really good thing about what Sale have done the last two years is is that dark blue, light blue, white combo. It works very well. It's very striking. It's a nice bridge between the sort of modern era of Sale where you've got that very dark navy blue. Obviously, we had that for a, a, a significant number of years. And obviously, the slightly lighter blue of, of, of the sort of Sale rugby club of, of old White accents, obviously, you know, very smart and, and makes sense around the collar, blah, blah, blah. Not really much to talk about there. But I just think it's that is, is obviously a massive part, again, of the identity that the club will want to be building off the field. And, and going from a very dark, navy, almost black, to, to this kind of blue-blue-white combo, I think, is a lot more striking. And again, it just it just makes, you know, the, the kit or the crest or 
to be honest, even the sponsors kind of pop a little bit more. And I, I just think, you know, if, if nothing else, that is is what the club needs to build upon moving forward. You're in a very, you know, competitive marketplace in Manchester, we say it every year, et cetera. So the, one thing you can do is you can make a really nice looking kit. And the, the, <laughs> the best way to start with that is getting your colour scheme right. And I think they've done it now for for two years since uh, since Macron came on. So I think that's a, that's a really good sign for the, for the future. Um, I, I still think that the shark fin with the 1861, which obviously has very prominent uh, placing on this year's kit, uh, being embossed on the arms, does look a bit amateur. I still think we could do something better than that, but I, I, I like the nod to the heritage, etc. cetera. Uh, you know, and, and obviously, at the end of the day, our club is called the shark, so you need to get the shark theme on there somewhere. But overall pretty happy with it i think i think the kits with macron have pleasantly surprised me especially because i saw newcastle's and theirs look shit this year uh it just looks terrible with the with the color that macron have gone for so if nothing else i'm really glad that hasn't happened to sale and and you know i'm i'm feeling pretty comfortable giving this a, a good sort of seven and a half out of ten um alex kit kit or otherwise is there anything else you want to mention as part of the season preview uh, no, I, I, I can't talk about the kit with as much passion or knowledge as you, so I won't even try. Um, yeah, maybe that as well. Um, and the only other thing to mention is um, Sale FC, of course, got another big season in Nat 1 with uh, push for promotion. So um, I went down there on a couple of weeks ago for the pre-season friendly, really good atmosphere, um, very, very enjoyable day out. So Whenever sale on at home, that is definitely worth getting down to as a sale fan. Should be a really exciting season, and obviously a chance to see uh, the future stars of Sale Sharks, who um, who are plentiful there. So that's the only other thing to mention. But yeah, just really excited for rugby to be back. Really excited for the season to start. Hopefully, a um, a good win at home against Benetton will in the final preseason friendly will lead us into uh, into a nice opening night at home to Saints the week after. Um, and I think that's a, a big game because Saints are probably one of our competitors for top four, top six kind of area. So um, we can start with a win. That'll be excellent. Um, you know, the preseason has been kind of hard to judge so far. Uh, loss away at Connacht is uh, is not great, but uh, I know a win away at Coldy is sort of hard to judge. Um, but nice to see us getting involved and, and, and playing Coldy in that friendly. And hopefully we can... Uh, build some relations with them as well and uh, see how they go in the championship with perhaps some academy players on loan. Um, so it's an exciting season for North West Rugby, I think. You know, we've got teams at all, all three top levels of, uh, of English rugby tier and, uh, yeah, get behind all of them. Um, but most importantly, get behind Sale Sharks, get down to the AJ Bell and um, let's hope for another exciting up and down season. I'm sure there'll be... Uh, I'm sure there'll be weeks where we're ecstatic and weeks where we're whinging, but that's what it's all about, isn't it? It, it is indeed. So thank you so much to everyone uh, for joining us for our season preview. We hope you enjoyed the pod and are looking forward to the new season as much as we are. And obviously we'll be back to our usual schedule of, of uh, roughly one pod per week, recapping the previous week's game and looking ahead to, to the following week's game once the season gets up and running in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, enjoy the rest of pre-season and uh, we'll be here uh, after that first game in a couple of weeks' time to, to kick the season off proper. So thank you to you boys for joining us. 
for joining me. Thank you to our listeners for joining us, and uh, we'll we'll see everyone on the other side. Bye.